As soon as they can, the scammer's going to try and move you away from the communication system run by the dating platform and onto some third-party communication platform. And that's because they're eventually going to get detected one way or another by the dating platform. They're going to have their communication channel shut off and they're going to lose the target that they've spent maybe days grooming. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategists, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. Stan, who would we have joining us for this episode? Rob, our guest today is Dan Winchester. It's around Valentine's Day, so we thought it would be interesting to take an angle on the dating game by examining scam and fraudsters on dating app sites. And Dan is the co-founder of Scamalytics, and Scamalytics has a focus on helping dating sites remove scammers from their site in real time. And Dan, it's great to have you on us as a guest to help us understand this area a bit more. We haven't covered fraud or scammers at all on the podcast. And so it'd be great to, to dive into this area. And specifically, you have a focus around dating assets. Is there anything else about your background, though, you'd like to share with our listeners before we get started? Well, thanks for having me on, Stan and Rob. My, my background is in, in online dating, and I've been running a online dating service for 15 years. It was through running that that I got into a second business trying to defend um, dating services against scammers and fraud. So, so I've sort of seen both sides of the coin in a way, you know, I've, I've, I've run the dating service and then I've also now, you know, my main focus is in providing a business which helps other dating services you know, protect themselves against online fraud and scammers. So let's kind of jump into this a bit. And if you think about it, right, when, when scammers are going after organizations, right, it ultimately can hurt that organization's reputation and, and bottom line as well. So I'd imagine, you know, it's especially true for these dating sites and apps. When you look at this, right, and you see that there are users of the apps, if they're using them and then there's, let's say, one too many times where they're kind of getting burned and it's a scam behind it, it's, it's got to be rather impactful and they'll move on to something else, I would take it. What's, what's your take on that? What have you seen through your experiences? Well, generally speaking, very few people actually end up getting scammed. So I think the, the, the reputational problem for dating services is not really that their users are getting scammed. It's that their users are encountering fake profiles, which are set up by scammers. And, and most users are, are kind of savvy enough to realize pretty quickly that they're dealing with a fake profile. I mean, a, a lot of users will just be able to tell just by looking at it mm-hmm. that that's a fake profile and maybe it's created by a scammer or maybe it's created by someone who's just up to some mischief. Uh, and obviously that's a bad experience for that user. And ultimately, most dating services are trying to move uh, as many of their users as possible over to a subscription. And you're not going to pay a subscription when the product you're subscribing to, you know, which is a database of singles, actually looks like it's just full of junk and scammers. So it, it, there's a really good business reason why dating services want to get rid of these scammers as quickly as possible. No, that makes sense. Let's talk about the data side of the equation. You know, online merchants are using data for a variety of reasons. To, you know, for example, you know, they, they may want to evaluate customer needs to be able to better position 
their products. They want to, you know, ensure they have regulatory compliance by looking at the data. But collecting this data is just the first step, right? I mean, to effectively put it to use, you also have to be able to organize and control the data in some way. And that can be a struggle for sort of some businesses. And I imagine that's true in the, the dating sites as well. Um, how, how have you seen dating sites handle sensitive data that they're collecting? So this is a really interesting area because there's a, a tension in, in dating, as there are in many other sectors. The tension is really between privacy and safety. Users want to feel safe, but they also want to make sure that their privacy is respected. And you have to strike a balance in terms of what you do with user data. So you need to really be figuring out what's the minimum amount of data you can use in order to prevent the maximum amount of, of fraud. And some data is obviously more impactful than others in detecting fraud. And some data has a higher impact in terms of the user privacy. So to give a really simple example, if you can detect fraud without reading any messages, that's fantastic because messages are probably the most private piece of information that a user puts on a dating service. And the user may be happy to accept that as a compromise. You know, I want to feel safe and you're managing to keep me safe without looking at my messages. So those are the kinds of kind of balancing decisions that that services have to make. So, So Dan, let's kind of double click down on the the data aspect a little bit more. So in helping identify the scammers, you know, what are some of the different types of data elements, I guess you would say, that you're collecting from these different dating services and apps? And then what else are you augmenting with additional data elements and sources to, to really help drive kind of high fidelity of, you know, reality that there is a specific scamming situation or some sort of fraud going on here that help you pinpoint that? Okay, so... It's worth thinking about this in terms of what the what the scammer is doing, how the scammer is achieving you know, a, a position where they can execute a scam. And they're almost always doing two things. So the first thing they're doing is they're misrepresenting who they really are. Mm. And the second thing they're doing is they're trying to move the target away from the dating service and onto some other platform where they will ultimately execute the scam. And so the data that's useful is often data that can help you confirm whether that user is actually who they say they are. Yeah, and a, a simple example might be if they say they're in one location, but their IP address places them in a different location. Yeah, that's useful information. And to, to sort of yeah, answer the question about augmenting your data, obviously, once you've got an IP address, there's a whole host of other data sources you can then bring into play in order to you know, just find out a bit more about that IP address is it a regular internet connection is it is it a hosting company is it a known proxy and then you know what we do is we try and pull together blacklists of of known known risky data so that might be a photo that has been used on many hundreds of fraudulent accounts it might be an email address that's been used time and time again so those data points are then effectively made available to lots of different data dating services. So fraud on one dating service helps another dating service, which might be a, a competitor detect fraud you know, b- bef- before it becomes a problem. And just a little bit more on that, a curiosity. So do you actually also work with the, you know, the internet service providers, the hosting providers, you kind of mentioned this, as it relates to some of the reputation of an IP and getting some of that information kind of flowing back and forth with what you're trying to accomplish and what they're able to serve up with information that they know? 
we often have quite a tricky relationship with the the service providers themselves because they may not be taking as much action as we would like when fraud happens on their on their networks and you know some of these companies are obviously massive and it's quite hard to get them to to really deal with with, with these kind of issues sure. so really we tend to i would say we don't really have much contact with those companies themselves yes sometimes companies will come to us and say yeah we we we're aware we have a problem and we and we'd like help and we can obviously give them information about where the fraud's coming from on their network which ip addresses which they can then trace the bad actors within their customer base so we do do some of that but in the main we're using third-party data to try and establish you know as much information we can about the reputation of an ip address or the organization that's controlling it and then we use that in combination with our own data based on the, the fraud reports that we're getting across our network of dating services. So this online fraud area, it, it can be a, a complicated crime sector, you know, and it's constantly evolving. Um, you know, criminals are becoming more sophisticated. I mean, tried and true methods probably always will be uh, attempted, right? But their their methods are changing. Um, merchants need to stay on top of the latest threats and ensure that they're their strategies to address uh, the most pressing risks are are, are effective. Um, so, as the the pace and volume of fraud threats continue to increase, and as fraudsters find new ways to attack businesses, what are you seeing as far as some of the next uh, forms of attack that are being applied? Well, in terms of IP addresses, we Scamalytics actually doesn't just look at dating we have all sorts of sectors specifically when it comes to ip addresses so that might be fintech banking law enforcement government classifieds and right across the board one of the biggest challenges we're seeing is th- this movement of fraud from data center ips to what's often called residential proxies a residential proxy will be where a regular internet connection used by just a, a normal domestic internet user somehow gets carved out into a proxy by a, a third party company and they might do that by um, providing some sort of software that, that that user wants in exchange for acquiring a small portion of their internet connection you and probably agreed to it on their licensing agreement too somehow to say yeah exactly. i'll accept that don't even yeah. realize they're accepting them back that they're being a proxy, right? Exactly, exactly that. And and you know, in the past, IP information has been really useful to detect fraud. And one of the things you can look at is we're expecting a, a normal internet user, and and actually we're seeing a data center, so that's going to up the fraud risk. But if you're seeing, you know, just what looks like a normal internet user on an IP address that belongs to a, a normal residential internet service provider. Uh, then it's very hard to put a risk score on that. That's that's hard because you're going to bring normal, regular users into that into that risk score. So I would say that's the one of the biggest challenges moving forward. It, you know, it's there's things you can do and 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 things that we're you know, having some success with. And I, I know across the industry, it's you know it's it's quite a big challenge. The companies that are offering these IP addresses are really big companies that are presenting themselves as you know. High, high reputation companies providing a, a legitimate service, but definitely at our end, we're seeing that those IP addresses are, you know, whatever the, the, the legitimate purpose is, we're seeing them being used for fraud. Dan, let's uh, look a little bit into kind of the future and, and, and the the evolution of fraud detection. 
And, and what role are you seeing today and going forward more, you know, data analytics and specifically machine learning playing to help be more accurate? You know, even the examples you were talking about of looking at an IP address, seeing what that person is doing, where they're, where they're doing it from. And then all of a sudden that's coming from some different part of the world as an example, like, you know, how can we help from a machine learning pers perspective, better isolate those type of issues and kind of offload that to go into more complicated types of scenarios? I think, I mean, we do a lot of machine learning stuff within Scamalytics, but I would always add a cautionary note that we find that domain knowledge is way, way more useful than machine learning. Because when you're dealing with fraud, you, you, you've really got to be attuned to false positives. And it's so easy for machine learning systems to you know, get, get into positive feedback loops and things like that, where actually you, you, yeah, you, you're detecting fraud and then you're starting to label the data that you're learning from. Uh, and before you know it, yeah, you're potentially flagging relatively low risk data points as high risk data points. So, and there's obviously ways around that, but it's, you know, without getting too technical, it's quite hard to get really good labeled data in terms of fraud because it's pretty hard to know, you know, where absolutely all the fraud is. So, 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 yeah, we have big gaps in our data where you've scammers and genuine users, but you've got a massive gray area in the middle where it could be a scammer, but could also be you know, a genuine user and you can't really label that data. So that domain, that's where your domain knowledge comes in, into play. So I think the machine learning is yeah, really good for the kind of simpler problems where you just need tons and tons of scale and you need to make some quick decisions. But you know, I would definitely caution against these kind of black box models where you're getting an output and you're kind of not really sure how that decision is being made under the bonnet uh, and and then using that you know in production so dan i know you don't deal directly with the consumers of these dating apps but in general do you have advice of of what <clears throat> a consumer of a dating app should be looking for uh, you mentioned again um experienced users probably recognize you know illegitimate profiles quickly, but are there, are there some tips of the, of the trade as it were that you can share? A piece of advice that I always give out. And, and I think this would keep the vast majority of people safe is stay on the messaging system of the dating service. And the reason for that is twofold. First of all, as soon as they can, the scammer is going to try and move you away from the communication system run by the dating platform and onto some third party communication platform. And that's because they're eventually going to get detected one way or another by the dating platform. They're going to have their communication channel shut off and they're going to lose the target that they've spent maybe days grooming. So they need to secure that communication channel. And the easiest way to do that is move to a different one. And the other problem for the scammer is the dating service has got all these security systems in place to try and make sure that fraud isn't going to happen to its users. Whereas a communication platform that's purely about communication, maybe it's even focused on privacy, just isn't going to have those sorts of systems in place. So the, the, the scammer is in a much you know, stronger position in terms of then executing the scam. We hardly ever see scams executed on our client services it's almost always executed away from the client service so your dating services provide messaging systems and, and most of those messaging systems are pretty good 
So my advice would be to just stay on those messaging systems, don't leave them and, and uh, yeah, really get to know someone before you agree to move the conversation elsewhere. Makes sense. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on and sharing a lot of the insights within a specific area. We, we've not come across and discussed in the past. So kind of you know, looking at it from the, the scamming elements of what actually takes place in some of the different dating service apps that are out there. But even more importantly for the audience to hear some of the specific kind of, these are the things you should really take into account as part of, you know, as you mentioned, stay within the app, stay within the messaging platform that they have. Don't go elsewhere because that's the first sign of there's probably some sort of fraud activity happening behind the scenes. So thanks for coming on and sharing that with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe.